This is a content lead podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number one of the Content Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown, and in today's episode, Tess Needham, Content Marketing Manager at WordPress VIP, joins me for a conversation about content marketing, how she got into the profession, and how her team handles remote work, especially now in the midst of COVID-19. Buckle up, you're in for a great episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy it. You are the very first guest on the Content Lead Podcast, so I'm really excited to talk with you a little bit about content marketing and your background and all that good stuff. So before we get into more of the tactics around content marketing, I'd love to learn more about your background and how you actually got into the profession. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I'm really excited to be here too. Thank you so much for asking me. Um, How I got into content marketing is a kind of circuitous route, which I think is probably not uncommon these days. Um, But so I'll try and keep the long story short, but um, the sort of through line of my career has been a passion for creative arts and for technology. So I kind of try and think of everything through that lens. Um, My background is actually in the performing arts. Um, So back in Australia where I grew up, I graduated with a PhD in performing arts in 2008. And then I decided I didn't want to pursue a career in academia. Um, And I wanted something that kind of seemed elusive at the time, which is the freedom of a creative but location independent job so I could travel. You know, I loved traveling. Um, And I started, I kind of fell into freelancing as a WordPress consultant for small businesses. Um, And I learned a lot about how, uh, about WordPress and about how those things like yoga instructors and therapists um, used their websites and how important the website was for their business. Um, And then Eventually, I, uh, after moving to the US with my, with my husband, then I spoke at a WordCamp US and I discovered this role at WordPress VIP um, as a technical account manager. So it wasn't in marketing. Um, and the role had all the perks of a remote job, um, but I would get a salary, which I was, you know, I was freelancing, so I didn't have that. And I could apply my WordPress knowledge to a new type of client, which was enterprises who I hadn't worked with before either. Um, so the WordPress VIP team is like this big happy family and it's really cliched, but it's true. Um, so I just kind of fell into that and started doing a whole lot of other projects that were needed around the place. So I, with my background in the arts, I sort of, um, helped out with some marketing jobs, uh, marketing projects. I, whenever I wanted to like do a video or work on some illustrations or like sort of just picking up anything that needed to be done. And I was really lucky that I was given the freedom to be able to do that by my my team. Um, and so eventually I just kind of did more and more of those projects until I then moved into the marketing team. It was kind of organic. So I'm actually quite new to marketing as a discipline, um, even though it's kind of this perfect merge of everything that I've loved doing for my career. So I'm turning 39 in a couple of weeks and I'm like, I finally feel like I found the thing that I was looking for. What's amazing about marketing in general is that there's, when it comes to the people who actually do marketing, they have such a diverse background. You never, it's, it's rare to find somebody who you know, went to college and got a degree in marketing and followed that throughout their entire career. I'm one of those people. I went to college and got my degree in marketing. So I'm, I'm kind of in the, the, uh, the, the profession I was meant for, I guess, out of college. But 
every time, you know, when I'm with new companies and I get to know some of my colleagues and I ask them about their background, you know, they, you know, they majored in English or they studied history. And it's just interesting to see kind of the diverse backgrounds of people within the marketing space. It's really interesting. Yeah. And for me, um, that is interesting. And for me, it was like the perfect marriage of the, the company itself as well. Like, I'm not sure that I would have gotten into marketing at like a totally different kind of company. You know, it was really, I sort of came into it from being in the WordPress community and then it's, it just felt very organic um, to then be in this company that I love and now I get to like speak about that company. You know, it's just kind of those organic steps, but I'm sort of jealous of you going to college for something and then wanting to keep doing that for a career. It's like, oh, I wish I'd kind of done that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it definitely has its perks. You know, I got a chance to get exposed to a lot of different things earlier on uh, than most people. Uh, but yeah, I, I do envy some people who have, you know, different backgrounds and, you know, like you said, performance arts and all that, all that interesting, you know, just creative things that people do. I, I, I am envious of that. It's amazing. Well, so. the grass is always greener. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you get into WordPress originally? Like the actual, um, uh, like using the platform? Yeah, actually, it was through my soccer team. I was playing in like this this team back in Australia. And I've always been someone who's jumped into an opportunity or a gap that was there. Um, in high school, my friends were in a rock band and their bass player, bass guitar player dropped out and my dad played bass. So I was like, I'll, I'll play bass for you. You know, like I played other instruments, but I, I just, I've always been that sort of person who's like, I can do it. You know, I can, I can, I'm sure I can figure that out. And so it was like that where our um, soccer club needed a new website or needed a website. I don't think we even had one at the time. And I just kind of said, oh, I'd like to figure that out. And so I did all this research and figured out what the best tools were and things like that. And I really just, you know, as a lot of people learn WordPress in particular, I just kind of scrambled through it and figured it out as I went along. Um, and then from there, it just built to more and more. And then I, I started getting connected with people who needed help with their websites. And so it really just kind of snowballed from there. But it just started out of that need and just jumping into that need originally. That's how I learned how to code was a word. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so, you have, so WordPress VIP. So the parent company is automatic. Right. Can you give uh, give us a little summary of first WordPress VIP, what that's about, and also automatic as a company? Yeah, sure. Um, it's actually almost easier to go the other way around if you don't okay. mind. So, not at all. Um, automatic the company, talk about them first, um, was founded by Matt Mullenweg, who's one of the co-founders of WordPress, the open source project. So after the open source project was starting to kind of gain legs, um, Matt decided to start Automatic and have this commercial arm of WordPress, WordPress.com. Um, and Automatic uh, has WordPress.com, also has other um, products. So we have Jetpack, WooCommerce, um, Long Reads, a, a bunch of other different things under that umbrella. Um, so the way that WordPress VIP started was that, that we found large, some large media companies um, who wanted to have their sites on WordPress. But because they were so large um, and had so much traffic, the way that WordPress.com is set up is it's a giant multi-site installation of WordPress, which means that one site can, the code of one site can affect another site. You're sort of all living in the same database. So there was um, some consternation about how this would actually work at scale. Um, so that's when WordPress VIP was born. 
to kind of help with um, getting those large organizations onto WordPress, but being able to do it in a more like white glove, high touch kind of way um, with every, all of the support that enterprises need. Um, so we have now, we no longer use WordPress.com's infrastructure. We have our own containerized platform, still based on WordPress, um, but it's a lot, there's a lot more freedom with our platform now than there used to be as part of WordPress.com. But that's kind of how we were born. Um, and then since then, you know, we have a lot of other customers that aren't just media. So we've also discovered that a lot of other organizations want to have their marketing websites on, on WordPress. And we are a really good solution for having those websites um, that are secure and also performant at scale. So that's kind of where we're at now. Um, and we just see, we see all these large enterprises that want to create these digital experiences for their customers and that content is really at the core of those experiences. And WordPress being, um, having as big user share or market share as it does, is that so many people have used WordPress. Maybe it's for your blog or something and not necessarily at work. But what we're finding is that kind of grassroots adoption of WordPress has started to filter up into enterprises. And so people love using it at work just the same way that they loved using it for their blogs. Um, so we just kind of try and bring that experience of WordPress into what um, enterprises need, where they need to be able to integrate with lots of other different pieces of software and they need to have you know, a gajillion users of their WordPress site. They're having like editors and all kinds of people that are in there doing things. Um, and they need to have with the code, you know, they need to not just be working in FTP, they need to have a GitHub integration so that they can do, and they can do continuous deployment and all of these more modern development tools. So that's what we sort of really bring to enterprises is a way of um, integrating WordPress into what they, what their already complex kind of ecosystem. We'll be right back after this quick message. Today's episode is brought to you by Content Dojo, the community for content marketing professionals. If you're interested in connecting with fellow content marketers, sharing strategies, networking, go to contentdojo.co, sign up, and join the community. And now, back to the show. What I find interesting about Automatic as a company in general, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it has been 100% remote as a team from the, basically from day one. Correct. And that's particularly relevant for a lot of companies right now who are now 100% remote. Right. From your perspective, your experience, and as a, a content team, how are you all, what, what advice would you give companies who are now remote um, and dealing with this kind of friction of how do we collaborate with each other on uh, just how do we streamline the collaboration piece? Like what, what, ex what advice uh, would you give them? What kind of things have you learned over your time with Automatic? Yeah, totally. Um, well, first of all, if this is your first time being remote, this is not normal remote work. <laughs> My life is completely different now than it was like six months ago. Um, I, love being, you know, being remote is amazing. And our, as you said, our company has been distributed from day one. Um, and we use the, we tend to use the word, the term distributed, because with remote, there's this sense of like, there's a, there's a headquarters somewhere, but then you're a satellite worker or something like that. Um, and we don't have that. So we, we don't have a headquarters. There have been in the past various um, offices in different places, 
but they've always been considered sort of co-working spaces where you can opt to go there or not. And there's never been this idea of like the majority of the company is together in one office and then there's a few employees who are remote. I think that would be actually way harder than having the entire company distributed. So since we have been distributed from day one, there have it's embedded in our culture to have certain ways of communicating. And then also the kind of tools and processes have always been in place as well, like you mentioned. So I think uh, there's, there's so many things that I'm thinking of, but um, one of them is um, one of the keys is asynchronous work, mm. um, especially for us, which it might not be the case for a lot of companies that are remote these days, but um, for us, we, uh, global. So we have employees in, uh, I'm not going to know the number off the top of my head, something 70 odd countries um, all around the world. We cover every time zone. So what's really important for us is that we can work in a way that doesn't require us to be in the same time as our um, colleagues. So we try to keep face-to-face -face meetings to a minimum um, which is kind of foreign, I think, to a lot of people who have just become remote, whether you're just stuck in a meeting all day. Um, yeah, we, we really try and keep those to a minimum. They're really important, you know, for really like quickly synchronizing on something, but we don't rely on them. It's like, if you weren't in that meeting, then you're totally going to miss out. Um, our meetings are all recorded. You can catch up on the meeting on the meeting later if you're in a different time zone or whatever. But also we do a lot of written communication. Um, so we definitely use Slack. But Slack is for us more of just the real-time communication um, for things that need to stick around longer or when there needs to be a decision made across teams um, or you're sort of nutting out a project or something that's bigger. Um, we use a tool called P2 and P2 is actually a WordPress theme. It's the name of the WordPress theme and it's applied to a network of WordPress blogs. So we kind of really eat our own dog food <laughs> in terms of um, our communication. But every team has its own P2 and projects might also have their own P2. We use the term P2 as a noun as well as the name of the theme. But it's all part of the same um, WordPress.com infrastructure, but they're private. So they're obviously not able to be seen by people outside of Automatic. So we're actually blogging all day at work, which is kind of really That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we use that instead of email. We don't in email each other internally. I only use email when I'm communicating with external people to the company. Um, so every time I have a project that I'm kicking off, I'll write a P2 post. Everybody can come in and comment on it. And it's also really democratic because we have access to every P2 across the company and everything is really transparent and out there in the open. So if I wanted to, I could go and comment on the finance team's reports or something. I don't know why I'd want to, but I can. Um, it's all there, you know, it's all open, which is really cool. It really like democratizes the way that we work together. But that's been a real, um, it's been great that we've already got that embedded in our culture when it comes to these times when everybody is remote, because it was really, there wasn't much of a switch for us to get to that. So really, I think that asynchronicity is a key. And what comes along with that is a really high degree of trust. So you really need to trust that people are doing their jobs. And we don't have, we don't have to clock on and clock off at certain times. Um, you can work whatever hours suit you to work. So that's a godsend for me, especially at the moment, because I have two elementary school age kids 
So they've obviously been at home for months now and I've had to be managing their homeschooling um, and all of that kind of stuff. So to be able to have that flexibility um, has been really key. And so when you do asynchronous work, um, the other benefit of it is that you can actually think about a reply. You know, you're not like in a meeting expected to know something off the top of your head. You can digest all of the information. Having them as blogs also allows you to link to other blogs that have been written. So you can say, well, so-and-so did some work on this already and link to that. We also have tags that we can use. So like client tags and things like that. And then we have a tool that searches across every blog and Slack instance as well. So that's like the main, I would say, core of our DNA when it comes to communicating um, asynchronously and remotely. Um, Project-wise, we use Asana. Um, so we love Asana for managing content projects. So that's for our marketing team specifically. Um, that's just been a real benefit for us because the one thing that P2 doesn't do very well is project management because of the nature of like a blog being chunks of text and then comments after each other. You don't have the same sort of modularity as you do with say tasks in a project manager, being able to assign tasks to people and comment on those tasks individually. So it's been really good to be able to also um, have a, use Asana as a way of having that visibility across our content calendar. It sounds like P2 is like a, a mashup of Slack and Google Docs on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, that's true. Although we also use Google Docs and Slack for various purposes. <laughs> but yeah, I would say that it's like the best, um, I'd say that like the thing that it really replaces is mainly email, um, but it's, it's so much more efficient than email. Um, you don't have to worry if somebody's on a thread or not. Um, you can, you know, cross-reference things so much more. It's all archived. So it's not like if someone leaves the company, everything dies in their inbox along with them or anything like that. Um, it, it really, um, this idea of transparency, you know, you can't be like, I wasn't on that email thread. You know, the thing was always there for you to go and look at any time. Right. Now transitioning to uh, the WordPress VIP content team. Can mm -hmm. you give me a little idea of what that team, how the makeup of that team? Sure. Well, it's just me. Perfect. <laughs> <at the moment>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I like to say that, but I mean, I have, I do have a team of, um, of other collaborators, but I work with a lot of contractors. So in terms of full-time employees, I am the sole full-time employee currently on our marketing team. Um, we work really closely with our design team, um, who again is just one person <laughs> with some contractors, but, um, but everybody's really dedicated. Um, so right now I'm, I'm a content marketing manager, but I'm kind of, I'm fulfilling a lot of functions across marketing right. at the moment, um, as you can probably imagine, but I actually love it that way. Um, I get bored really easily. So <laughs> it's been really great to just learn a whole lot of other things. Yeah. So we're so, a really lean team. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. So dealing with contractors. So as the sole content marketer on the team, obviously you're in charge of the strategy and whatnot. How do you deal with contractors? How do you share that strategy with contractors to get them on board to produce the content that you're looking for? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, it's, it can be hard to find good contractors, really hard. Um, so what, I, what we've done with contractors is something similar to what we do with full-time employees is a trial process. Um, and it's not, uh, when I 
first think of a trial process, I think of like, oh, your first three months on the job, you're kind of on a, a trial basis or whatever. But we actually do the trial before you're hired. So it's part of the hiring process. Um, you have some interviews and then if you progress, you do a trial project. And that trial project, you kind of act as an employee and we want to see what it's like to work with you. So I've done the same process for contractors because I think we do have a pretty unique culture and a unique way of working. And you have to be um, really strong with written communication to start with. So that trial process really um, pulls that out. You know, it really exposes how somebody is in a written communication sense. Um, and that thing I was going back to earlier as well about trust and asynchronicity. So if you, um, you need to be able to read that P2 post and then know what the next step is without necessarily being told and being guided. So we really give everybody a lot of um, autonomy and even contractors um, to, to make suggestions and to just sort of go forge ahead with the work. Um, so the trial process is really important to start with um, to get an idea of how that person works. And then after that, we do a stand-up um, meeting once a week and that allows us to kind of all get on the same page for what our priorities are for that week. But apart from that, we don't have a lot of contact with each other in real time unless we're working on a certain project. So people are just expected to kind of go into Asana, go into P2, and just know what's next and be autonomous like that. So that's kind of, we really hire for that. Um, but those are sort of unique skills that you need yeah, <laughs> to work sure. with us. Uh, for the trial process, can you talk a little bit about that and what that process looks like? Yeah, it's really different for every role. Okay. So for our support roles, they actually become a support engineer for that, that period of the trial. Um, they respond to tickets um, of, from customers you know, obviously with a lot of um, checking with people beforehand, but it really, it's a, it's a way to kind of experience the job before you do it. Some roles are not as easy to do that, um, but we try to make it as realistic as possible. So we'll say, um, here's a scenario. How would you approach this scenario? And we really want to see like those high school maths exams. We want to see you're working out. You know, it doesn't matter if you get to the wrong answer. We want to see how you did, how the process was. We don't expect you to know everything because it takes a long time to know. Well, you could probably never know everything, but it takes a long time to really get to understand a workplace and how we do things. So yeah, it really differs from role to role, but we would sort of give them a, a as real as possible project to work on. Um, and if you're trying out for a role that interacts with customers, we would get you to do some actual customer interactions and they might not be customer facing depending on the role, but you would kind of role play them. You might role play like a meeting with customers. Um, you might also talk about, you know, your first 90 days on the job um, and give a presentation about that, like what you would do. So we really like every employee here, we really put a lot into the, the hands of the trialee and we say, here's access to everything that you need you need to kind of go and find your way. And we'll be here to, uh, to answer questions, but you know, you're dropped in the middle of this wood with a map <laughs> and you can radio us for help, but you will, we also want to see how you get out of here, you know. Safe to say, if you can't navigate, <laughs> then you're not going to last very long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, what's interesting is that it gives us a really like quick, um, it's actually very efficient in letting mm -hmm. us know if this is the right person for the job or not. 
Um, and, and also for that person to figure out what it's like to work for us, because it's not for everyone as well. Right. Now, transitioning to more content marketing tactics. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, for WordPress VIP, uh, what type of personas are you going after? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, we have kept things really basic for now um, because we just don't have the people, you know, to execute on a lot of different projects at the moment. So we kind of um, think about our prospects. We have a lot of developers, um, a lot of the technical folks. So, and those are the people who are, once they become customers, are really interacting with us on a day-to-day -day basis with our support teams. So we really um, respect and appreciate those, the people who are doing the development in um, our, the organizations that we target and that are our customers. Um, those people also tend to be heavy WordPress users. And like you were saying, may have learned to code through WordPress. Um, they're, you know, they're usually really strong WordPress advocates as well. So we, we love our developers. The other person um, that we think about when we're crafting marketing materials are product owners. Um, and that is, you know, we think about people who are technical, but are not doing the kind of day-to-day -day development, but they're kind of bridging that world between who is using the website on their end and then who is um, and, and the, the more technical considerations for the roadmap of their product. Um, and then we also talk to senior executives. Um, there are a lot of executives who are making decisions about, you know, where their organization is going. Um, digital transformation is a really big topic for us at the moment that we find coming up a lot. So yeah, those are the kind of, I guess that's sort of how we think about groups in our audience, but uh, a lot of those overlap. And then, you know, there are some organizations where people are doing everything. So it really depends, but yeah, that's, that's kind of who we think about. Yeah, the, I've, I've kind of, in, for various roles, I've also been in a boat where I had multiple personas that I was trying to market towards and create content for. I um, mean, it sounds like you obviously have that same, you're in the same boat. So I'm curious to learn from you, how, how do you go about creating a strategy that takes into account all the different personas mm -hmm. and the content that you're creating? Is it that you're creating content specifically for each kind of vertical or is there maybe a kind of an umbrella content that you're creating that fits every single persona? It's really hard, isn't it? Because yeah. you can't really bridge every persona. Um, what we have been thinking about more and more, especially as a lean team, is making more out of the things that we're putting our effort into. And what I mean by that is um, right now, our major um, marketing effort are webinars. Um, so we have a webinar program and we'll do the webinar. Usually that's targeted at more of the senior executive kind of topics. But then from that webinar, we'll try and create other content pieces that may speak to other personas. So we've kind of done so much work in building that webinar that we then have some good material that maybe we can slightly tweak to speak to um, more of a technical audience, for instance. Um, or maybe there's like a related topic that we can speak to a more technical audience. So we might think about white papers um, or case studies or eBooks or things like that, that, that are sort of on the same topic, um, that are kind of sister topics but that speak to those different audiences. And that's one way that we can kind of create more with less. 
so that's one thing that we've been kind of working towards. Um, but I sort of feel like if you try and create one content piece that's going to satisfy all of your personas, probably not going to satisfy any of them. Right. <laughs> like I do think that you need to have an idea in mind of who you're speaking to. And it might be that, you know, other people in maybe the other persona groups are still attracted to that piece of content and still are interested in it. Like for sure, a developer might be really interested in business topics. We don't want to, you know, say that they're not, but we're just um, not trying to cater to everyone at once. Um, yeah, and I think it just makes the content stronger when you're trying to focus it a bit more. So the webinar program is considered your pillar content and from there you repurpose based off of the webinar topic. At the moment, yeah. That makes things so much easier. <laughs> I find it always, no. it's, yeah, it's, I find it always, it's always better to have like one concrete pillar content and then use that as the thing that you're able to repurpose from to create, you know, secondary, you know, and, and so on and so forth in terms of the content you're creating. So yeah, I find that that has worked efficiently for the roles that I've been a part of too. Yeah, for sure. Cause you put so much work into that that if you just run the webinar and then say, okay, on to the next topic now, it kind of, it's, it's a bit sad. Right. Because you know? there's often so much in there that you can use. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, even if you have like just one topic that you're kind of talking about in the webinar, there's always some other nuggets that come out, whether it's another topic or something that a speaker says. Uh, so webinars are huge. Uh, so I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get crunch face on board to do more webinars too, because we did one last year and it was really successful for us, for us in terms of lead generation and all that. So definitely on board with yeah. webinars. Yeah. It's interesting. The, the other thing that's going on is that the webinar market is kind of getting saturated at the moment, you know, with everybody yep. being at home, I feel like every man and his dog is running a webinar, um, which isn't a problem. You know, it's kind of a good thing. And I, I love that people are really receptive to them as well. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting to think about how you can stand a bit apart with webinars as well. Have you done any live streaming at all or have tried that? Um, no, not for our marketing efforts. I think we've done a little bit of that for events because um, we have been running a few digital events, but no, we haven't really been doing any live streaming. Um, our webinars are really lead generating for us at the moment. So um, yeah, the signups have been the most important bit, yeah. <laughs> apart from the content, of course. Um, yeah, so no, I haven't dabbled in live streaming. There's a whole lot of things that I want to do. I have so many dreams, Jeremy. I want to do a podcast. <laughs> I want to do a video series. But as always, with a lot of creative people, you know, I'm, I just like the next shiny object. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but then you have to think about, you know, how many leads is this going to bring in? Are they the right type of leads? And then do I have the team to execute on this stuff? So... Yeah. Out of all the things that you're thinking about, the podcast, the video series, what's that one thing like, like, like I want to do that? That's the one thing that I want to do right there. A podcast. Podcast? <laughs> Which is awesome because I'm on yours yeah. and I'm like oh, taking notes. <laughs> no, I would really love to do a podcast for sure. And what's stopping you from doing a podcast? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I feel like... I don't want to keep saying because we have a lean team. At some point that sounds like a cop out, you know, because you're always just prioritizing things. Um, but yeah, no, I would love to do a podcast. I'd love to time. That's another cop out excuse, but having the time to, to plan one out, you know, and to actually 
make sure that you're delivering them on a regular basis and all that, that kind of thing. But you're definitely inspiring me. So. Well, thank you. Time is a big thing though. I mean, it, you know, doing a podcast on a regular basis is definitely time consuming. Cause if you think about it, sure. you have to find the people to get on the podcast unless you just right. want to have it be solo. Then you have to script it out and then edit any type of good thing. I mean, good thing right now, I don't need to edit this because you're amazing. So, oh. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so you're making my life a lot easier. Um, but yeah, it definitely is time consuming. So I can understand uh, time being a, a big factor and kind of, or hurdle, I should say, from you starting a podcast, but it's worth it in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, definitely look out for the WordPress VIP podcast soon. I definitely want to do it. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, a matter of kind of sitting down and mapping out the plan and, and that kind of thing. And yeah, it always, especially as like a, a team of one. Yep. Um, and as I've said, I have obviously contractors that I'm working with, but being the sole full-time employee means that um, I'm kind of the person that gets contacted about everything to do with marketing. So um, when I sit down with a plan for the day, it often gets derailed. But um, anyway, I don't want to make excuses. I want to do the podcast. It's coming. 2020. Coming. <laughs> this is my official announcement. No, this <laughs> um, so before I let you go, what else in terms of content marketing that you're seeing out there on the market or on the interwebs, I should say, um, has captured your eye? Um, what have you seen work uh, and what has not worked for you from a content perspective? Yeah, that's a really good question um, because I'm one of those people who through all of my life have been kind of allergic to marketing and advertising. You know, I, I can smell a rat. Like I don't, I, I know when I'm being marketed to and I hate it. Um, so I, I have to say, like, I don't know if you're asking for a specific type of content, but the thing that I really love in content is authenticity. Like if someone is just being real, um, I really go for that. Um, so I've seen a couple of talks recently by Anne Handley from Marketing Profs, and I just love her style so much. She's just so real. Like she seems like the kind of person that you would just want to sit down and have a coffee with. And that's what I really respond to. You know, I don't want someone popping up in my inbox that I've never heard of telling me that they know things about me. Um, I don't want someone emailing my personal email about like with work proposals out of the blue, which I have been getting a bit of lately, you will get deleted right away. Um, so I really love in terms of content, um, yeah, just authenticity. You know, speak to me like I'm a person and I want to know that you're a person. Um, I don't want you to be this faceless organization. I want to know that, you know, you've, you've got hopes, you've got dreams, you've got regrets about things, whatever it is. Um, I'm not like an oversharer exactly. Like I don't necessarily need to know your deepest, darkest secrets. Um, but like, like we're doing now, like just have a conversation, you know, I think having a conversation without an agenda, you know, just yep. saying, this is, this is who we are. This is what we do. Like it just being open about it, like being transparent about this is the way that, that we do things. Um, and I really appreciate just having a kind of just a relaxed conversation about it. These, these kinds of things are my favorite things to listen to. Have you read Anne's book? Um, I have. I have it over on my bookshelf. Yes. It's amazing, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just really, like, I don't know why I just, like, love and respect her so much, but I do. <laughs> so it's, whenever I get, I don't know her at all, but I sort of feel like I do, you know? No, I totally understand where you're coming from. There's, there's certain yeah. people out there that when they communicate, whether it's through audio, video, or writing something, 
it just comes off differently than other people. You, like, you feel a, a deep connection with them. And it's really weird because like you said, you don't, you've never met them, but there's just a way that they communicate that just resonates with you. It's really interesting. Right. right. And like, I don't know anything about her personally. You know, it's not like she had to tell me all about her childhood secrets or anything like that. But yeah, just coming across authentically. Um, I also really enjoy humor. Um, I I draw comics in my in my side time. That's why I haven't got a podcast. I've been spending all my time drawing comics. Um, but like the best day of my life was when I got to draw comics for work. Um, and our art director really liked what I was doing with with well, I should say cartoons really sort of single panel things. And I usually draw them. Um, uh, about my my kids, you know, s- things that my kids say that I think are really funny, but he really liked the style and we sort of would, were playing around with ideas. And this is one of the things I love about marketing so much is this kind of unhinged creativity. And he, w- we were coming up with some um, comparative landing pages, you know, with our competitors. And we kind of thought, well, it's not us to say, this person does this terribly, you know, like a political slam ad or something. It's much more WordPress VIP to just talk about what we do, you know, and just say like, hey, this is what we do. And it's probably different than what you've experienced from other people. And we're not like putting anyone else down. And then, so we, we were doing this series of three landing pages and we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we did some cartoons? So I got to draw cartoons for these landing pages and I was like in seventh heaven. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, I just really appreciate things like that that are not just like a bit out of the box, you know, like do do you um like r- thinking of something creative and running with it i really appreciate and i've seen some um going back to Anne, i've seen some presentations of hers recently where she does uh rather than doing slides she holds up the slides on pieces of paper <laughs> does like a manual slideshow you know and i'm like i've never seen that before that's so interesting to me and it's funny as well and so i just really for me personally i really respond to that i feel like especially in the marketing world companies follow other companies and they do the same type of thing they produce the same type of content so Absolutely. when you're talking about the cartoons that you, you put together like that's unique that's unique to wordpress vip no other company is doing that at least your style because that's unique to you and right. so that definitely helps the content that you're creating stand out from everybody else like you mentioned um and doing the kind of manual slideshow and you said that you've never seen that before it stood out on your mind and I feel yeah, like and I was sharing it with my colleagues, you know, I was exactly. like, wow, I've never seen this before. Yeah. Totally. And that's, and that's like the essence of marketing. If you can have, create some mind share in somebody's head, like that's what you want. Right. Right. And I don't want to come at it from the angle of like, let's do something unique for uniqueness sake. You exactly. Know? It really has to be authentic to what you're talking about and who you are as a brand as well. Um, but yeah, if you know what your sort of brand values are um, and you know, we really value sort of authenticity and transparency in our brand that when you come up with a kind of creative idea like that, then you think, well, let's give it a shot. Like if we're being true to our brand, then there's really nothing to lose. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, Tess, thank you so much for joining me. The very first episode of the content lead, I'm, I, like I said, from the very beginning, very excited to have chatted with you and learn more about your background and content. Um, and so I look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. For sure. I'm so honored to be asked. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the content lead. If you want more just like it, be sure to subscribe to get new episodes. 
If you're interested in joining the community for content marketers, visit contentdojo.co. With that, we'll see you on the next episode of The Content Lead.